Welcome to the Encouragers, the Radio Rally podcast on Apple, Audible, Spotify, almost anywhere you get your podcast. By the way, you're about to hear the only time we've ever done a part two to one of our episodes. Uh, our goal, by the way, remains the same to always encourage radio pros at all levels. Uh, because you're about to hear part two of our conversation with the chief content officer for Cumulus Media Nationwide, uh, you need to know that we're presenting a part two, frankly, because Ryan Phillips has a very storied career, and he is right now at the center of the work that he is doing inside Cumulus, a very large job in corporate radio. It's very interesting to get his perspective on not only his background, but his current work and how much he values and cares about that. We covered a lot of ground in that, and a lot of that is coming up in part two that you're about to hear. My name is Lloyd Ford. I'm with Rainmaker Pathway Consulting Works, or what we call ourselves RPC. We work on both sides of the ball, so to speak. We practice uh, literally helping radio generate higher ratings and higher revenue. We're involved in both. It's just this simple when we go to work for a client and they follow our collaborative process and strategy, their revenue and profit margin rises. Ideas are the new technology. Where do your ideas come from? Are your local radio stations programmed in position to collect the most money today in your local market? Do you need better sales recruitment strategy? We can help you with all of that. Schedule a meetup. It's free today by email. It's easy too. First consultation is free, F-O-R-D at RainmakerPathway.com. Now, here is part two of our conversation with Brian Phillips with Cumulus right now. Listen, you just mentioned something really cool, and I'm not going to let you escape because in 2001, you know, look, in our country with a lot of people, it marked a lot of big changes for people. Uh, we all know this. There are just some years that are big turning point markers in lives and in careers. You took a job outside of radio as the president of CMT Network. Now, can you share, A, how that happened, how that <laughs> job was different than any radio job, or was it, and what you enjoyed about CMT? Oh, it was a, it was a spectacular job and an a opportunity that came as a result of, um, uh, I was at the time sort of going back and forth between Dallas and Atlanta. We just launched the Burt Show um, and the new, what was then Q100. Now it's Q99.7, of course, in Atlanta. But we put a new CHR on in Atlanta and the Dallas stations were firing on all, you know, Wolf was in a great place in in Dallas. And, um, Susquehanna was a wonderful company that allowed me to uh, consult. I guess I, I imagine this is how I, I'm, I'm backing into how I imagined it happened, but mm -hmm. because I wasn't um, because the wolf in Dallas Fort Worth had been pretty heavily um, noticed and 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 it was somewhat celebrated at the time as a radio station that took a different path and and did you know other than the 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 expected nashville pattern and um i think i always imagine and i think probably john sykes said this to me on a on an early phone call because i consulted uh i was allowed to consult cmt 
um, for a time before I actually went to 1515 Broadway to the MTV building and, and, um, and that was my, you know, that was where, where the, the trip that, that ultimately changed my life. I think they were looking for, honestly, I think my name came up when they said, is there anybody out there doing country in a, in a non-traditional way that would fit inside the MTV music group that would have, is there anybody who would have the sensibilities to be able to create a country channel that would fit the sensibilities of MTV and VH1. That now, that make- makes perfect sense to me based on what you did with The Wolf. I can see where John would get to that pretty quickly and go, hey, what about this? Well, and and he was, you know, he took an enormous risk. And as, as you know, and John is... Uh, is so convincing and 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 so smart and um you know and, and it, when he <laughs> there was there was just no there was, once once I got to New York I made my initial visit to New York and I realized that the MTV networks at that time which were which were part of the larger Viacom empire that included Nickelodeon and TV Land and it was you know uh, and of course Paramount Pictures and what we now know is uh, the Paramount Network, but um, you know, a, a little time in that building, uh, a single day actually, with with sort of the um, you know I, I, uh, the the brain trust of the original MTV, which included uh, the great Judy McGrath and Van Toffler, who was running MTV at the time, Tom Freston, one of the uh, was it was the CEO. And of course, John Sykes was running VH1. Um, I, I just had to. I, I I felt an immediate. I felt they were all kindred spirits. I felt that this was, you know, these were people who were doing. I was very envious. I wanted to be part of it, and mm. um, you know, only John would would have the courage to you know to call up a guy with no television experience. Uh, and say, how would you like to run, uh, you know, this this new network that we've bought? And I, my answer was like, I don't. To the extent that I would have to manage it as a business, that's not me. And he said, No, our our channel heads are. We we believe in the model of player coaches. We, we so this isn't an administrative job solely it's you know to 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 run a network at mtv you're actually expected to create and develop and be in the truck when you know specials are are or, or shows are being made and you're meant to be part of the creative process that builds this is where i where the world of scripted television begins to unfold and what was then you, the hottest right? genre reality um yes where i learned how you know, I, I learned the, the uh, a completely different set of skills that later that I think that I, I'm guessing a set of skills in making television that, that served me um, that served me well in choices I make for cumulus, I hope. Well, I want to say something about that, because whether it's somebody like an Eisner or somebody like the head of iHeart right now, or, I mean, you can name a lot of different people who have, well, no, I take that back. You can name a few people who have had 
jobs like the jobs that you've had, okay, or like the jobs that Bob Pittman have had, and and things change over time. Businesses change over time. You know, I, people don't know this, but you and I had a, a conversation the other night about this. And I'm just going to say you had big budgets and it kind of was probably scary to you to be doing that in a world that you were not as familiar with. And now you and now today with Cumulus, the environment is different. You know, you have to do more with less and have to, you know, talk about that for a second if you can, because I, I think people need to know that when you're in a big company, it's not easy to turn the boat. No, you know? and and I think it would be be it would be instructive for anybody in radio to know that there are in in every wing of entertainment, whether the movie business, television business, um, we've certainly seen cycles in the music business, and um, and radio is no stranger to being disrupted by technology, obviously, and yes. and consumption patterns, but every every other industry has gone through meteoric, you know, immeasurable change in the, in the period. I mean, think of, think about the, the period that we're, and it's making me feel old, but thinking about the, 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 the radical arrows of change that we've talked about today from the, the, um, the, the, the there's the, the difference would be, and the, and I, and I think, Maybe I'm a little I'm highly sensitized to it, having come from um, the sort of the golden era of cable and the golden era of broadcast yes. television where it, you know everybody was, you know, everybody was was watching the same thing at the same time. Um, the great the, the one thing that cable and MTV networks in particular did uh, and and really, I, I credit you know all the, the the industry in general, TV and film. TV and film have have much better, it seems to me. Um, they have better mechanisms of promoting their own worth, and they don't, for whatever reason, they they don't. And and look, they're both in both of those businesses are in complete disarray right now. You know, even with the strike being settled, it's still anybody's yeah. guess when, you know, so it's it's been no day at the beach for either one for any of these fields in in, in recent years. But wait, wait, let me put a marker down. 2007 for me. OK, the iPhone. Right. Uh, Facebook. Uh, we're now in a hyper consumer era where, man, you better be on board with the consumer or you're going to be left behind. And you and you you also have that. That's right. You have to you have to move in. To, you know, that's why we consider cumulus. Our, all of our initiatives are audio first, everything pointing toward digital consumption in the future. Nice. Um, it's it's because it because anything less uh, would be to, you know, to uh, to, to stand still and ultimately um, watch the gradual dissipation of a medium. So it, and everybody, and listen, cable people in, in television saw, um, you know, we're, we're, we're hit by a, 
uh, a tsunami. They were, were hit by a tidal wave of change. And, and yet only radio in my experience, and maybe it's just because it's, it's, you know, it's, it's the world in which I travel now seems to have a, a mechanism of, or, or, uh, or a self-consciousness that is, uh, unduly, unduly negative. And the it, sky and, is falling, right? Yeah. It's, it's, it's become, it's, it's, it, you know, what you put out there as you know, about the nature of your business, guess what? It, you know, by osmosis, it leaks into the general culture and I shouldn't be at, at a, I, I, you know, I shouldn't have, when I mentioned that I work for a company that you know, the biggest part of our business is still over the air radio. I shouldn't, I sh shouldn't, a consumer shouldn't know that that is a, wow, is that, you know, what's, what's going on with that? Why, you know, I, I, I'm not, you know, maybe it's because radio is taking a lower profile with less marketing and, and we're, you know, we're trying mm. to fix that with, well, Get with all things digital, of course. Um, but I, I think we're the only industry I've ever seen um, with, a, with a sort of internal self-defeatist, self-defeating sense of ourselves, which presumes that everything will go the wrong way and, and everything is, your you're, sky is falling is, is right. We've got whole newsletters dedicated to nothing but that topic. We're the yeah, only industry... Listen, all of that tax away from the natural advantages of radio. Well, it 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 does it does that, it, it, and it also puts the it has the unintended consequence of um, if if you're if you're if you're fighting internal battles or fighting for uh, are fighting a perceptual battle in public or in any kind of a, in a, a, a way that feels public, you're interfering with the main work, which is reaching the consumer and consumer knowledge. And that was something that was certainly drilled into me um, in my television years where the number one thing, the most important thing that, and of course this is true with, with radio, the absolute most important thing is understanding your consumer, understanding the CMT yes. viewer, understanding the MTV viewer, understanding why people watch. Um, on uh, you know what 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 are the triggers in, you know, in a storyline or in the way a show is cast, or the way a show is edited. What you know what what are the things that uh, that define a hit. And I just think that if, if we're so caught up in sort of if we're sort of so caught up in the mechanics of the business, the ultimate loser is the listener whom, as we've discussed, has high expectations for us. Oh, and other options that are yes. developing yes. not just options, but also distractions. And I, I think also, Brian. Uh, we're in an era in which if we don't take care of those high expectations, if we don't push those, if we don't reflect that out to them, they will go somewhere else. Bye-bye. Of course. Of course. It's it's a uh, people are making a, a dozen decisions a day on which 
apps to download and where to get their entertainment right. and and which channels to subscribe to and they're making digital decisions all day long and um all, uh, our goal needs to be to move them our way and yes. anything that anything that that is you know, any damage we inflict on ourselves is just uh, is an obstacle to to reaching the fan and well and look you you talked just you talked just a minute ago about uh research and 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 doing research on your own to figure out why people are tuning into certain things why they're doing certain things and one of the dangers with radio is if you're doing it like you did it in 1985 uh things have changed Consumers yeah I, I i think that that would be the the and i've s said this before um one of my great surprises because i took a 17-year hiatus to uh work in tv um i guess i was surprised on my return where i imagined that it, the landscape would be completely different yes. uh and i and i would have to learn a whole new as i did when i moved into tv i had said my goodness i've got to completely put radio behind me and learn a whole new set of characters um right. in, in a in a in a completely different field with a completely different set of skills so i needed to just put radio aside and not think about it only to return 17 years later and find that not much had changed in in the basic construct and that right. wouldn't be true in any other media movies don't look like they looked you know hit movies now are are not um, oh, developed no, movies, in the same way. Trail, movie trailers don't look the same. Of course, everything yes. everything else is in con it's constant state of evolution, and um, radio to be kind would you know appeared to me on, on my arrival to to be uh, hanging with some old ha old familiar habits a little longer than other media, right. All right, listen, let's talk about that amazing job that you have. You're the chief content officer. I mean, first, that's just a mind-blowing talent. I mean, you know, that that title alone, you're the chief content officer for Cumulus Media. We want to know how did this job come about? Uh, what do you like about radio's opportunities today and the opportunity that you have to help your team in so many places? Because it's a big job. Oh yeah, it 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 um it it came about because it it is it is an all encompassing job. You're right, but I I also have a um terrific we have within Cumulus um uh, terrific people making podcasts. We have um as I said, great format dedicated uh, vice presidents. We have um. Westwood One and and all of its um capabilities in sports and, and news talk. And so it it's um and and podcasting, of course. The the um the job came to me because at the conclusion of when when I decided I wanted to be back with uh 
when I decided I wanted to be back with a, wanted to, to dive back into what we'll call the corporate entertainment world um, that was ready to, uh, I, I was ready to take on a, a, a new challenge. Um, I looked at the landscape and I know that there, the, the message that I kept getting back from everybody that I spoke with who had knowledge of the situation was that um, Cumulus had been a, um, had been a, a complicated place for a while uh, during my, my time off in television. And that everything had changed with the arrival of the new administration. Mary Berner had built a new team yes. um, that in included uh, Mike McVeigh, my predecessor in in this uh, absolutely uh, in this job, who's a uh, and my great great friend Mike McVeigh. Um, but it, it was the the word was that, and the big and it it, it may sound naive, but it was the it was again an internal intuitive compass thing was it the word was that cumulus was new and was in the in the throes of reinventing itself and that i imagined that i could take some of what i had learned the what i considered to be the the, the best some of the most important learning of my life what i'd learned about culture at mtv networks and in part, what I discovered about people and and uh, building teams and casting and creating what I'd learned at in TV and film that I could I could create a I could build or help build with the right people a good creative culture at Cumulus because one was already starting to surface and it was yes. still. But but it was it was a modern it was a uh, it was a modern version um, it was all new it wasn't the um, it, you know anybody will will tell you that this company is very different from um, what it was uh, before the arrival of Mary Burner. And well, let's just say it had an old legacy. Yeah, and and yeah. and you know, and, and my again, I was completely unaware of what was going on in radio in that era. I had to be because I had other things to focus on. Um, but I can't, the, the company that I found was, um, uh, you know, represented nothing more than wide open spaces of opportunity in every format, mm -hmm. really smart people and a chance to bring in people that I'd worked with before. And also to, uh, you know, frankly, to, you know, to cross pollinate with some people that I'd worked with um, in television and, and, Interesting. And still have, you know, still have access to the to the brain trust of um, I, I look at I, I, I refuse to look at radio as a as a medium in isolation. I see it as part of the larger show business landscape. And I'll just never it not. Has, it has to be. It has to be. And otherwise, people don't know why, you know, unless there's a reason for them to stream what you make. You're, you know, if it, you've got to be creating or curating something that people must have, it differs not, well, you know, one whit from 
you know, the, the, the goal that television and, and film companies have. And it, but it sometimes seems to relegate itself to a second tier substatus version of that. And I see the whole thing as I, I see it all as entertainment. I, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll put up my great morning shows at Cumulus. I'll, I'll put the creatives who drive uh, our biggest radio stations and our best radio stations um, in whatever market they fall. I'll put their creative, I'll put their humor, their content um, up against anything in any other wing of entertainment. And so we that's have as much opportunity as any media and probably more in the use of imagination, in the use of creativity to entertain. And, and I think that it's it just what has, has become a worry sometimes that, um, and we, we, we try to practice what we preach in, uh, we we're adding more and we are certainly guilty at times of asking people to do more with less and we're we're giving we're adding responsibilities to people uh you know to to, to our ex expectations for people to match this new era uh yes. that we found our where, where we find ourselves but but i think um on balance our goal is to um is to, to keep that humanity that human touch by what it means, why whatever delivery means the consumer chooses to keep that human touch, that human connection alive. And that also ties us to the larger show business world. That's right. Brian, listen, there are not many people um, that you can say that have a job like yours. There are not that many people who have a job like yours. Is there anything about your job that might surprise the rest of us? <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah the, the, not you know anything I mean, you I, can say out loud yeah i mean i i think that that the um i think people would be i mean it's it's a it it, it is a it would appear to be a huge amount of turf um that the the title would appear to uh, uh the the title suggests the oversight of a huge amount of creative turf um and i guess the the people would be surprised at the degree to which um you know it it takes a village it takes a huge team of specialists and people that i trust implicitly to make their own decisions to work to work autonomously and again uh as i mentioned lloyd to be part of that sort of sonar network where I can, people I can go to and go, what about this? Would you ever, would we do this? And, and as in, you know, as I've been told, uh, um, you know, a million times in, in my career in every medium, um, the answer to that question uh, from the, the, the best and the brightest people that I've worked with uh, can be no, Brian, that, that would be a terrible idea. And, and I, you know, I'm, I, I, you know, if it, 
I guess the worst thing you could say about it is, is I'm, you know, you could, if there's such a thing as being, uh, I think I have a reputation within our company, and I probably ha- had this same at in in past jobs of being, um, of having, you know, being in in possession of a, a fair number of ideas, mm-hmm. but also having the um the discipline to uh to to use smarter people than i to uh to to test them with and to say yes what you know i mean it it really is a job like this really requires putting a huge amount of trust in a bunch of brilliant people and in the cumulus content team um that's really the gig that's again it comes down to casting well, right. It's so interesting to me that you're a guy that's done radio, then you did television, you did movies, you lived in that world, and now you're in radio, and it all comes down to people. Now, look, Brian, there is a reality of the fun of radio. We all know this is a fun business, even in what's happened to it in the past 30 years, whatever. It's a fun business. Our, we've got our vision of the past, what radio was to any of us who've worked in it for a long time. And of course, the gravity of business itself, which Cumulus and every other company is. We're businesses. In other words, every business has a bottom line. You strike me as a person who cares very deeply about the people that you impact every day. How do you think radio execs balance caring for employees? and making the tough decisions that you have to make because of the realities of our business, because of changing situations, circumstances, distractions, and opportunities that consumers have that are frankly beyond anybody's control. I think that um, the keeping humanity in the equation, because there's there, there in, in every field you've talked about, that we've talked about, there's a natural ebb and flow. I've canceled in, in my career. I've canceled television series. Which when you when you um, you know when you cancel a, a, a when you make the decision to have a, a fully staffed scripted television series not return, um, you're af- affecting the lives of of. Uh, hundreds of people with a with this with a single decision so i think that that so when you once you get used to the idea of and and that's why i think that we count on we 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 the first thing we look for in uh, above all else even before product knowledge or i mean if if you don't pass through the filter of being if you don't if if something about a person's is we're in the interview stages, so use that as a, as an example. When we're in the mm-hmm. interview stages, if if we only want to bring people into the company who haven't lost that human touch, and we regret, you know, as I regret that sometimes in television, big shows got canceled. Um, or people, you know, for for whatever reason, we you know, we weren't able to, or a film 
uh, that was really important to somebody that didn't get greenlit. Um, it's, it's, these are all heartbreaking decisions that, that, um, and, and that, that keep us awake at night. And I, I think the most important thing in a complicated business environment, and, and that's all show business right now. And we've included radio in that is that we not lose touch with our conscience, uh, our, 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 our collective conscience and that we not be dismissive of um, we not treat people as though they were simply cogs in a, in a, in a large machine, because I think there's always that risk in big companies. And yes. I think we, we, we strive to find people who um, see the merit in the individual. Mm-hmm. And, right. and that, that I hope is a differentiator um yeah i'd like to think on our on our good days that is a differentiator uh at cumulus you know it's really interesting i hear you talking about you know when you cancel a television show or something like that i think most of us who have not worked for a netflix or a cmt or a, a cbs or whatever we think of those jobs as not as jobs, but as something that's three dimensions away from us and really rich people out in Hollywood and all that, you know, but it is very similar in the casting of a radio station and when things don't work out and how you have to make those tough decisions, it's kind of tough. I, I listen, I don't know this for sure, but I think I suspect BP that you have been instrumental in putting personality impact on some very specific stations. I'm, I'm going to lightly mention your country station in Atlanta, uh, not just mornings. Well, that would be new country. One Oh one five. Yeah. With Kincaid and Dallas in the morning. Um, and, and the great program director, Mike Moore, uh, in Atlanta, Georgia. Yes. Yes. That's the one to which you refer. Yes. Yes. That's exactly right. (laughs) And look, it's, it's not just, that that mornings are important we know that okay but how important is personality on the radio today well i i come at it from you know that there's there's a uh the answer to your question the first answer is that personality is everything and and chemistry within groups of personalities or, or or whether morning shows or some other day part uh, sports talk stations are, are not, uh, you know, uh, are similarly dependent on um, great chemistry among hosts. I think the thing yes. that um, the one discipline that, that, that I've sort of rejiggered a little bit uh, in our process, the way we look at potential, um, a casting morning shows, for example, is that in um, it, television and film have these really rigid processes by which shows are greenlit and developed and story, story arcs are contrived for 13 episodes and a Bible, it's called, is written for a show that defines, tells the backstory of each character. And so there's all of this, and I guess it's because of the, you know, uh, I'm only guessing that the difference is the relative cost 
of taking something from paper to, you know, a fully staffed and uh, film crew, um, all of the emphasis is on development and getting the casting right before. And then you go out, then you take the finished product, the pilot out into the field and test it to see how people respond to it. And you make changes. Whereas radio has still has a little bit of that lingering. This uh, so is a little bit of that lingering. Let's put these people together in a room and see what happens. And that mm-hmm. doesn't, that, you know, I, 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 I don't think people who work, you know, and I love this sort of shoot from the hip aspect of that. And we've, we've, we've seen it work a few times, but your goal as a development executive in the entertainment business is to have a really high hit rate, yes. you know, and we know the odds are stacked against us or at any given time, there are a hundred people trying to have hits for the one, two, or, you know, for the handful of products that ultimately reach a mass audience. So I feel like I think, you're saying that in television, they're not trying to guess. They're not trying to guess. And I would say that there's not there that if you're casting, if you, if it's your job to build a funny morning show, mm-hmm. let's say that's the premise, then there isn't a huge other than unless you could, unless you have the ability to, you know, to, to, unless you, you have great, mentors, which I would say I, I had the benefit of, of uh, great mentors uh, nice. in radio before I, I uh, moved to TV. But um, some of the, the people that we talked about, but in the absence of that, there's not a lot of cultural knowledge in radio about how things, how Comedic shows, for example, are constructed or how we live in a world of, of uh, you know, rip and read show prep in, in some cases, which amazes me oh. that, that, um, it, that it, 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 whereas I, I would say anybody who has designs on becoming a great program director and a coach. And, and, and uh, which is a word that's used all the time in radio and, and never in uh, television. But if you want to be a great developer of talent, um, mm-hmm. read, everybody should read and everybody should know who Phil Rosenthal is or uh, James Burroughs. These are the guys who are the masterclass teachers of how sitcoms are built. Uh, in the case of uh, Jim Burroughs, um, Bur- Burroughs did Cheers, Friends, and Frasier, um, which are all marvelous, you know, uh, obviously Mar- highly okay. awarded and marvelously conducted uh, or constructed shows. And and yes. also Phil Rosenthal, um, who has a terrific book that everybody who develops talent should read. Uh, it's called, uh, his book is called You're Lucky, You're Funny, how life becomes a sitcom and in the absence of a bunch of books or a bunch of accumulated knowledge about how morning shows are cast or, or how comedic uh, narratives are played out and why character, you know, why character contrast is important and what works and what doesn't, what to leave in, what to leave out. You've got to go 
outside of radio to get that knowledge. And the Rosenthal and Burroughs books are both, you know, are, are, are I can't recommend uh, for someone who's looking to embark on a career of developing talent for any medium. These are two must read books. And I think that any great programmer is reading books outside of their lane is I hope so. Forward. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And and that kind of thing, forgive me for saying this on a show called The Encouragers, should be encouraged. <laughs> you know, I'm so yes. grateful that you mentioned these things because people can go and get them and reference them and read them. And, you know, we don't all have the background that you have with your family of writers, but my God, th this is the path, right? Okay. So now this next question, BP, this is just for me. This is just for me. Okay. Uh, I see filmmaker next to your name in a lot of places. And <laughs> I want you to tell us about that world for you. And really your passion, because I can hear your passion for casting, your passion for talent, your passion for uh, development. And that's well, exciting. I want to hear more about it. With the, with the movies specifically? Yeah. And I mean, it's sort of interwoven with television. It starts out, um, I didn't realize uh, as I left radio and entered TV, I didn't know um it really i i had to be taught the protocol of development the way uh television shows are sort of move along the assembly line and where the ideas come from from the development team and how they get greenlit and how they get financed and that's a whole that that is um that was part of class. that was part of my mtv network upbringing because MTV films had um, largely due to my great friend, Van Toffler, uh, my brilliant friend, Van Toffler, um, had MTV films in the era um, that I was with the company had some really big successes. And um, with starting with, I'm just off the top of my head, the Academy Award-winning Hustle and Flow, which was an MTV film, and the Jackass movies <laughs> to, go, to to go into another you know uh, unusual cultural realm. Uh, the Jackass movies would you know cost a few million dollars to make, and and uh, did a hundred million dollars plus at the box office. So we, you know we knew that um, we knew that film with that films branded with. Um, uh, with with our cable brands, had a better chance to. Um, we we knew that the 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 power, for example, of CMT and CM. We knew that that there was, um, th that CMT was making some movies for television. We're making we had a documentary division, and um, we also decided that we wanted to get into making, um, better scripted, and so. The the short version of the story, and I'm sorry, I can't can't be you know. I, I wish there were a, a, a an ultra short version of it, but somebody thought that it would be great to take to look for scripts and and make them find uh, scripts which of which there are at any given time film scripts. There are a million floating around 
things that haven't gotten made or haven't gotten read um, that that are being passed around in um, you know consideration circles of of Hollywood. And the idea was that what if we could find scripts that um, country stars at CMT, the stars of CMT, what if they could act and star in sort of, you know, I guess probably the original vision was limited to certainly be like Hallmark movies where mm-hmm. they would be you know, little, little CMT films that we could air in prime time and repeat a lot. And, uh, <laughs> And and then the uh, the right script came our way um, for a, a movie called Crazy Heart, and oh, yeah. Robert Robert Duvall uh, was attached to it. Is one of my all time favorite characters and human beings, and I and mm. someone that anyone with a, any creative spirit at all should desire to you know to, to be in the presence of Robert Duvall. Um, yes. And Jeff Bridges, um, what, what, same there too, by the way. Same, same there, yeah. One yeah. of the greatest humans and and most, you know, wonderful people and most talented method actors, uh, you know, of all time. T Bone Burnett signed on with uh, to do the music. Who's you know, there's the, another guy with uh, about three rooms full of Grammys and sure. for and and great soundtrack a history of nothing but platinum soundtrack work we did oh brother where out art thou amongst others um and and along the way the you know these uh the the script and the idea were good enough that it started to pick up momentum and we weren't finding it wasn't easy to find country stars who were willing to sign up for a fairly complex plot which is what crazy heart has it wasn't really a, what you would call or would have called in the old days a TV movie. Um, although now I imagine it would turn up on a, you know, on a streaming service with a, um, you know, with, 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 uh, with, with a big cast. Um, but people kept, the movie kept getting bigger and bigger with Duvall's presence. Um, yes. With uh, Colin Farrell uh, signed on to play, you know, a relatively minor role that we had imagined a, a Nashville country star for and, and Maggie Gyllenhaal. Does this, be, does this become more, more scary the bigger it gets? It does because it, because it, yeah, guess what? It costs a little bit more every time. Even though people and and you know you 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 as the studio become um, heavily invested in in watching costs, and that's was you know that's sort of the. The, the the not pleasant part of managing um the production of a movie like crazy heart but the you know here's a little film that was shot in 28 days in mostly in and around santa fe new mexico and um wound up winning an academy award for jeff bridges and academy awards right. for t-bone burnett and and uh uh, uh stephen bruton and i'm leaving someone out uh there was uh ryan bingham um for, for its music and the uh so it, it was it was a, a little film that um got bigger and bigger because of the quality and the caliber of the people that that um were at the top of it Duval and bridges and t-bone and it um and it it got uh and it wound up being a theatrical release 
And so that, that would be my, you know, the, the, you know, if you had to make a first movie, um, I would say you could do worse than have Robert Duvall looking over your shoulder and T-Bone Burnett supervising the music and Jeff Bridges as your leading man. So that's pretty okay. It was, it's a, it's, it's a, you know, it's an embarrassment of riches and I'm I'm glad it turned out well. And I, I still hear from people who, um, who enjoyed it, um, and it, it's still out there. And so that that's the sort of the quintessential example of of the films that, that we made at um, CMT or were made under the CMT flag. Um, right. And then my my other the, the thing we didn't mention now uh, is when you were talking about music writing is. I had the unlikely luxury of being sort of a a, a longtime mascot um, when I was uh, at the time I was writing when I was a teenage writer uh, of the Leonard Wait a Skinner this band. Is the magazine. This is the magazine that you were writing for when yeah. you were fifteen, right? Yes, and the guys from Leonard Skinner read. Uh, um, this is a night. This is right around the time of. Um, their terrible accident, 1976, during the making of Street Survivors, which uh, was made in Miami. The first pass of it was made in Miami at Criteria Studios. So they were they they were familiar and popular with the South Florida audience, and um, they'd seen samples of stuff that I wrote, um, and realized that I would be a um, a friendly journalist toward them. Uh, which I certainly was, and and I've remained a friend of the, uh, un, uh, unfortunately, um, just about everybody's gone now. But I, but we lived long enough uh, to make a movie called "If I Leave Here Tomorrow," a movie about Leonard Skinner, um, which was bought by Showtime, and then later uh, Netflix. And yes. is just out of its Netflix three-year window now, and has been seen all over the world in eighty-eight countries, and um, that's sort of the it's 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 uh, a favorite film of mine because it reflects my memories of that band. Yes, and uh, and fans seem to like it as well. It's gotten you know uh, it's got pr- pretty. Pretty high Rotten Tomato. I think it's like a ninety-nine percent Rotten Tomato score. So it's nice. it's not, it's a it's a, um, but it's very personal. So thank you for asking about about our yes. films. Each of those well, films are very look, personal I, to I, me. I want people to get the reference of all these things and how they come together in your life. And we don't all the time think about the business of our business, but when you're doing Crazy Heart, which seems. Phenomenal. It's such a huge thing. You talk about, you know, Jeff Bridges will forever remember winning that Oscar. It's a it's the crown jewel of his career. That movie started out as a small movie. And you're the guy that has to look at the cost and the inflated cost. That part of your job has not changed. It's just on a different scale. It's in different. Yeah. uh, Yes. Yeah. And it, and listen, it could have all, and, and I guess the lesson, the universal lesson, this is true of when you're, you know, when you take a gamble on a morning show, now we bet yeah. on that script, we bet on crazy heart 
um, ha- having a script that would attract talent. Um, it could have gone, could have gone sideways, could have never seen the light of day. Um, that happens all the time. Movies going to turn around. You never, never heard from again. They get pulled from the schedule as has happened to so many big films in the last couple of years. It's a tough, it is, it is, it's a really, really tough business. But if you're, if you are lucky enough to touch one or two that seem to have some lasting appeal, which is, um, uh, you know, which, which, movies that I think will stand the test of time. I hope that um, they age well. They um, uh, Then you've left something behind. And I think that uh, in radio, we, we want, we're, we're making, we want to make memorable content for people that, that lives up to the highest standards and that people take away and remember the way we want to make something that's not just uh, a thrown away moment, but rather um, a moment that distinguishes our, our stations and sets us apart and, 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 um, and makes for, you know, for lack of a, you know, lack of a, of a better reference. Uh, we want a morning show that generates great promos that run around the clock because they do so much great stuff that, that you want to yes. keep encouraging tune in the next day. It's all the same. It's just like if we, I mean, every casting choice determines how marketable a movie is. Will this movie work with this person or will this TV show work? Will this sitcom work with this combination of people? It's all the same. And I think those are choices that you have to make in, in radio to make the, the best informed choices that you can using your gut and a lot of uh, as much help as you can muster from the people around yes. you. And um, well, and listening to consumers too, because you but, talked about that early being tapped in, listening to consumers, wanting to know what's happening on the ground, because it's going to be different than what's in your office. That's right. I just, I just worry about, um, I, I worry about b- b- people who are, uh, whose jobs remove them and not because of it necessarily, not because of any fault, not through any fault of their own. In the past, they might've been liberated a lot more of the time to go out and work the streets, but just, yeah. you know, in, and, and to, uh, to feel the, the, uh, to feel and understand the tastes and the, and the, the aura of the, of the audience, then, um, perhaps time allows them to do now. And so they're looking, they've got desk jobs and, and, um, and they, they, you know, we, we'd like, we'd like nothing more than to, um, you know, to, to give, to, to draw the best possible definition of program director or air talent as, as someone who oversees the creation and the curation of entertainment. That's, that's the gig and everything you know, and else this is interesting. This is interesting is too, because whether it's you at, in this incredible job you have, or somebody like me in a consulting role, part of our big part of our job is to make their job easier. Yes. You know, which is a challenge within itself. 
Correct. That's why we that's why we we walk a we we work to walk a fine line between being the uh the, the sort of the corporate uh oversight group which leans in and interferes in markets and and, and I, I think the radio term is you know crams down cram down uh we don't we attempt not to uh you know to overimpose our plans on people but rather to support them and liberate them so they can do what's right for the towns they understand 100%. and and that if we if we can achieve that as a programming department then as a content department we've we've uh we've made a difference and always 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 great content is revenue great content is the creation of revenue and value and brand and listen, Brian, we have arrived at the last question. So relax for a second as I tell you now that this is our toughest question. So the final question is this. Uh, if you could control the future and none of us can do this, what would you like to see the future of local radio become? Well, it's I think we've I. I think we've 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 I think we've discussed pretty in, in pretty deep detail the um the importance of uh understanding at really complex levels the nature of it's not it's I, 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 when people talk about live and local and um and I hear I know that there are radio stations that have reduced that to being um, a set of voice tracked liners that mention local uh, boroughs or neighborhoods and think that they're they're uh, living up to the live and local promise. They got to come. I'm I I my dream um, would be to elevate that to a to a higher art kind of as we discussed about the nuances of the market in Atlanta or what I, I found in Texas or Minneapolis um, yes. or what I found about the national tastes of human beings in television uh, during my CMT run I'd like to think that we're we're thinking about we're thinking in deeper terms about the places where we live and God knows we do. Nobody does more than local radio in addressing community needs. I'm always amazed at the reports I get back from our stations about the, the, all of the local good that they do and they don't get enough credit for it. When we can't, mm -hmm. we're not as, we're not as good as, at publicizing all the, the great things that we do, but that's a big, you know, some, some of our, all of our great brands, if you, you know, you and I can argue whether or not the content is um, is uh, perfectly aligned with our tastes. Is it is it funny right. to you? Is it funny to me? I don't, you know, I don't like that kind of music, so I'm excluded from that audience. It's not it's not about that. It's it's about the 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 goal. Lloyd would be for everybody to recognize that each of their brands has a beating heart that's recognizable to the audience. 
And that's, yeah. the, that's the great unifying characteristic that we'd wish for. One of the most exciting things for me is, you know, at first, with all the consolidation and everything, you hear people start to use this term, which really means anti-corporate radio or anti-voice tracking. And the term is live and local. It took me a while to kind of handle that and think about that. And I came to a different conclusion. And I think I think you and I are similar in this way. Live and local is not the ingredient. Actually, it's relation. Brands are relationship. If you don't have a relationship with your local market, if you don't have a relationship with that audience, you're not a brand. That relationship is what makes local radio great. That's and that's a a, a more elegant and 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 sophisticated way of saying live and local. That's right. It's about it's about having a a true ongoing, um, long lasting relationship with a consumer who uh, can't live without the thing you make, and that's the key to our future. Because, however, by whatever means we're delivered. Um, making that irresistible local content um, is key to the future. And look, we can all see a brand like Coca-Cola or Chick-fil-A and, you know, you can do Apple. Okay. And they have the opportunity to charge more because their brand has a deeper relationship with these people. I think it's the same for radio. I think it is the same for us. If we... Purposefully develop those relationships. That's really what radio sells anyway. We don't sell air. We sell access to consumers that are passionate. Yeah, we sell famous brands in in local markets. BP, look, oh my God. Thank you so much for spending this time with us and just being our guest today. Thank you, Lloyd. It's been a pleasure. uh, Thanks for having me. Listen, please don't take for granted what we're doing here. Help us by sharing this episode. You can do that directly from our website, rainmakerpathway.com, in the free blog section. So easy to find. You can share it with others that are interested in growing their career in radio and audio. This episode of the Encouragers, the Radio Rally podcast is designed like the other 135 plus in our archive already to encourage radio pros at all levels. We want to say a very special thank you to Brian Phillips, Chief Content Officer for Cumulus Media. And uh, uh, of course, a thank you to Joe Kelly, as always, for producing the Encouragers, the Radio Rally podcast, which we make available moments after we do this live interview. And thanks to JustJoeProductions.com for creating our audio footprint and uh, distributing our podcast. We say this all the time on our podcast, and this kind of goes back to something that BP said. Uh, I think it's very similar. Once you have a radio station, you can get anything else you want. It's that relationship that's so important. It's what we're so passionate about on this podcast. If you have any questions about that philosophy, please reach out to me. It is my passion to spread it everywhere I can, and I'd love to prove it to clients, of course. If you don't remember anything from today's episode, please remember, be kinder than you have to be. Thanks for being a part of the Radio Rally with the Encouragers. Go make a great week in local radio.